Welcome to the Industry.Fashion's In Conversation podcast, where we invite you to tune in to the stories of some of fashion's most inspirational leaders. From the history of their careers to the current priorities for their businesses and advice for their fellow fashion friends, these conversations cover it all. The In Conversation series is staged in proud partnership with Klarna. I'm Loretta Roberts, Editor-in-Chief of the Industry.Fashion. And on this episode of In Conversation, I speak to Sean Dixon, co-founder of Savile Row tailoring brand Richard James. I spoke to Sean when non-essential retail was still under lockdown and at that point he wasn't sure exactly when his store would reopen but I'm pleased to say that happened this week. I chatted to Sean about his career in fashion which began at iconic London boutique Browns and that's where he met Richard James who was to later become his business partner. In 1992 the pair joined forces and shook up the Savile Row establishment They rode the wave of the Britpop era, creating bespoke suits for the likes of Oasis and Pulp, as well as creative industry leaders who wanted something different from their tailoring. Richard James certainly gave them that, with suits made from denim and camouflage, among other unexpected materials. 28 years later, the business, which also has a ready-to-wear arm, is considered to be somewhat less rebellious and is part of the so-called new establishment on Savile Row. Sean tells us about the journey of the business, how it coped under lockdown, and about the importance of retaining vital tailoring skills. Sean Dixon, co-founder of Richard James. Welcome to the Industry.Fashion podcast. Thank you, Harry May. How are you feeling today, Sean? Are you keeping well? Yeah, I think generally I feel physically great. Just uh, the uh, tedium of this lockdown is uh, wearing a bit thin now. Um, certain aspects are good, but I uh, can't wait to get back to work properly. I remember uh, I had some flights to go to Rome in the beginning of March, which I moved to June the 5th, thinking, well, it'll all be done and dusted by then. But it's normal. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad you're in physical good health and a bit bored like me. But how have you been keeping the Richard James operation running? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's been a you know it's it's been a challenge. Obviously, the whole the whole lockdown thing happened really quickly for us. It was a bit of a shock, and and we had to kind of make some decisions in in kind of three days. Obviously, you you felt it coming. I'd been into Milan, I think early February, and you could see things weren't quite right there. And obviously, so a lot of our manufacturers are based in Italy, so you know they they were starting to shut up two weeks prior to our one, and and you think, well, this is obviously going to have to hit us. But for some reason, some overly optimistic reason i thought maybe we'll miss it um but uh we didn't <laughs> we didn't and uh so we, was a bit, we 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 had to act very quickly we had to shut the stores down we had to protect the staff people i could say i could sense you know some of our staff were feeling a bit uncomfortable when if you're working retail you you're, you know people are coming into the stores and tailoring is a you know by nature quite a there's quite a personal there's some closeness involved so yeah we we once we done once we shut down we realized the e-com was going to be our 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 business from that point on um so everything shifted towards e-com we also i think it's important for us to feel connected to to our customers and i and i think without being overly syrupy we you know we wanted to keep that those lines of communication open and we wanted to it's not we're here to help but we're here and you know and there, there, there are questions and we want to we want to communicate in a positive way i think i think there's a i think there's an element of i think people want to have feel that there's some positiveness there's some, there's some good 
thing's going to come out of this and we are going to get through this so we that was our that we decided to go down that route let's be positive let's 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 look to the future and and once this is done we're ready to to get back to business so that that was well that's my feeling and I, we wanted that to kind of come through in the way we communicated to to our, our customers you know i mean one of the frustrating things is the main the main reason why people buy tailoring at this time of year for us is for weddings so all of a sudden all the weddings are not necessarily being cancelled but they're getting moved to different different times and different dates and uh you know it's kind of you know be, everyone's been pretty my wedding's been hasn't been cancelled we're going to shift it later and we still want the suits and you know and it's, it's kind of there's a, there's a bit of a conversation like that going on so i i think there's there's two elements there's there's, there's our customers and then there's a the staff they're 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 feeling very feel fearful as everyone is and you just got to keep keep them kind of on board and feeling that, that, that through this there's going to be some some light at the end of the tunnel we're looking at a 15th of june reopening for non-essential retail are you working towards that date yeah we're part of the several bespoke association i'm i'm talking to them so i'm gauging what everyone else is doing there's parts of me that that does want to open on the 15th of june and and show that we're we're ready we're we're ready to go and we're ready for business. At the same point, there's no at the same time there's no point doing that if if um, no one else is if the streets streets closed. So we're, we're talking about. I think we will have to get people some you know very uh, maybe a skeleton staff in one of the stores, probably the bespoke store, just to start moving through the the the, the suits and the tailoring that's been in progress of being made and and. And start contacting people when when they can come in and how we're going to do that. So it, it, it's a tricky one. I, I mean, a lot of the tailors, the bespoke tailors, the the, the, the houses and so on that just deal with bespoke tailoring. It's very difficult for them because they're being hit in in, in both ways. Yeah, they they're not allowed to travel, which is a lot of where a lot of their business comes from. You know, they can't travel, and and then how do you you've got customers coming into the store you've got to very clearly work out a, a way of dealing with fitting a suit on somebody and how do you respect social distancing i think we're working it out we we do have luckily we are we are part of an association and, and they they are very um helpful in that and we'll, we'll get a good idea of what everyone's planning just to see some life come back to the market would be a relief actually and- I, I i think so yeah i agree i agree Lewis. i think i think you know just actually you know I, I, you know, I'm into the, I'm in the West End, you know, two or three days a week, and and just seeing some of some of the, the the coffee, the the, the coffee shops opening, the kind of takeaway places opening, it's, it's just it's such a relief. After I was here for the, you know, first two weeks of being in here, there's literally nothing, and now it's it's just there's life being breathed back in, and you can tell people are, and people are using it, people are doing it, people are getting takeaway coffees. Oh well, the one near me, uh, they opened a cafe near and I got an iced coffee. It was like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These little things make us feel a little bit better. Yeah, I agree. I th- I think it does make a big difference. I think you know, it's just you, you can feel that your life's coming back to some sort of normality. It really is. Let's hope yeah. that. I wanted to go into your backstory because you've got a really interesting one and on these podcasts we like to learn about the people we're chatting to. I mean I know it anyway, but our listeners tell us how you first got into the fashion industry and what was it that attracted you to fashion? God, yes, it's such a long time ago. <laughs> I, um, I, studied, I studied business at uh, college and, and, and uh, during that time I was kind of involved and in, I used to kind of, I was, in, I was very involved in the nightclub scene in London and going out and 
enjoying that side of things. And also, what, what I think one of my, I think when I was at college, I'd the first year, the second year, I can't remember when it was, I had to do a couple, few weeks work experience and I couldn't really think of where to go. But I was wandering down South Morton Street and saw Brown's, you know, the, 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 the kind of famous designer store. This is kind of, you know, 80s when, when kind of that sort of, it was called designer clothing, you know, the sort of, uh, you know, fashion clothing um and uh yeah so I, I popped in there and said look you know there's any chance i could get some you know work experience here and and i remember christopher tarling who's the kind of famous buyer of browns at the time he's like yeah yeah i'm sure we can work that out gave me the contact someone to talk to and subsequently i, I kind of i got i got in there and and and, and worked did my work so i remember seeing the the per, the lady who handed personnel at the time and i said oh look you know i'm really looking forward to this and she said great and I said uh, you know it'd be great if I could work in the you know probably the PR office and maybe the buying office and you know just to really help and she said yeah you'll be working in the uh, warehouse Browns was there was nowhere else like Browns at the time the Selfridges Harrods none of those stores had, had. Didn't have that kind of stock at the time yeah no that's right it was in the Browns Selfridges n- nobody had uh, any of those but they didn't have the clientele that went with it you know it was just it was just a super super place to be for uh, that period of time so I ended up getting a Saturday job so my so my I'd be f- Friday nights out you know finishing whatever I was doing at four o'clock in the morning you know uh, whatever was, whatever club I'd been running or DJing at and then going to the Browns for the rest of the day and managed to get through that and um, yeah and, and, and at that time I you know Richard also was a was a buyer with Christopher the two guys I met Richard Richard James he was he was there and you know, you know, he's a, he's a great guy. He's a really funny guy and uh, really interesting. And we kind of made some contacts. I, you know, we, you know, but but then I, I think he, I went off and did some other things. Came a few a few years down the line, and then you know he was launched. He launched a menswear collection. I, I think I was working for John Galliano at the time, and he said, "Do you want to come and come and you know do this?" And I, I you know, I, I loved working with. Uh, at John's it was a great experience really amazing experience but I started to realize you know I wanted to get into something that I understood the clothes and you know when I I, I couldn't even put some of these some of his creations on the hanger and let alone try and explain them to uh, people so I thought maybe menswear was, was my kind of place I should should head to so uh yeah I headed off to we, we, we started we worked, worked together and, and and that business didn't really work out it was very much focused on fashion shows and 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 uh you know, doing doing big big presentations in Paris and and wherever, and and it probably wasn't right. And then you know that, that it didn't work out that business. And that was about 1991, and and we were kind of figuring out what to do. What could we, you know, what could we do? You know, you know. And then we had an opportunity. Someone in Savile Row said, "Look, you know, we've got this store in Savile Row. Would you like to come and do the ready to wear for it?" And we looked at it. And we thought, "Yeah, okay, yeah, why not?" Neither of us had much doing. Recession was kicking in, and we thought we'd just give it a give it a try and the people we were going to do it with we realized it would be very difficult to work with them we saw, saw a very small store on Savile Row um, and the rent was you know at the time felt huge but now it was negligible I don't even think we had to give a deposit but they we only had a six month they could they could kick us out with six months notice but we took that chance and opened a tiny store in Savile Row and tried to do bespoke, made it concentrate on product, forgot all the other stuff, forgot all the kind of big presentation shows. And we didn't have a press office. We did everything ourselves. And, and, and I think because we focused on products, that, that was the thing that made the difference. That was what really worked for us. The scene as 
you were like in, interlopers really weren't you when you arrived on yes I, th- I think we were you know I think you know we were, we were either um basically disregarded from the outset or yes see you seen as a bit of a joke and and um not not you know we weren't but, you know you've got to remember that a lot of those houses on several have been there for many many years and you know not very very few people come and you know would move moon several and, and do bespoke tailoring and, and we we did but we you know at the same time we needed we want to be fresh and different and new but we had to respect the heritage and and, and, and all the great all the great things that Savile Row has to offer. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, I was aware of Savile Row. I think every, you know, people, people, everyone was aware of Savile Row, but no one really went in. No one really went to Savile Row. It's intimidating. We, we, we were making camouflage fabric and and and, and, and using camouflage fabric and, and you know we, we were doing the, the the classic the actual classic but but to be noticed we you know we wanted to make a yeah we wanted to make a silver robe bespoke silver robe suit out of great denim and and it and it looked great and people loved it you know it was really resonated uh, with, with, with people at the time I, I think you know our customer base was a was was definitely younger than the the, the average silver robe customer probably self made entrepreneurial um and you know and quite a lot of creative industries i think i think as i said i think people recognize several as a as a, as a street of excellence you know unique or, or unique in the world but there was a little bit of kind of oh is it for me is it a, am, I, am i am i do i need to be recommended to all to, to get into one of these houses and you know it's a little bit, and we were very much we were kind of very open we were like you know this is you know our windows we you know uh, we had glass windows you know people most of the, most of the most of the street had closed off you know and and it, it was kind of intimidating even 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 then i found it quite intimidating i still do actually sometimes but um you know our, our ethos was wasn't just about the it wasn't just about clothing it was about the whole way we serve people the way we did things the way we we approached stuff and now and now and i and i think that you know if you if you like that if you like silver and you like that that element then it was it was a place for you it was a place for you it took a while for people to to get there but it but it definitely worked i remember some great great guy i mean also we had that challenge of which i think we're going to go through again of everyone wants you know talking about the casual casual clothing and you know dress down fridays was just that was the um, people asking us what on earth we were doing but you know i i think there was almost an element of people reacted against that and the people that came to see us they wanted to be smart and they wanted even if they were kind of in their 20s or 30s yeah, I, I wonder about that um i was going to ask you about it there is suggestion i mean comfort is an interesting word to me because comfort doesn't necessarily mean a tracksuit to me or it doesn't necessarily mm. mean leggings for women and this mm. trend towards comfort was coming anyway you know, mm. they didn't really want to put shoes on sometimes i don't want to put shoes on. <laughs> God, I've got to wear an actual shoe. That whole comfort thing was coming anyway. We, I'm, I, we were talking about this yesterday as a, t- as a team, and what will there be a reaction to the action? And they, quite often there is. I mean, on our Instagram, we're doing dress up Fridays, you know. So when a member of staff puts on a shoot, suit, shirt, and tie, and goes and does the shopping at Sainsbury's, you know. Um, so we're trying to we're trying to put that out there. Um, yeah, I, I I think that. Hopefully there will be. With I think people have got used to being in certain a certain amount of comfort. I mean, for me, I haven't worn. Yeah, I haven't worn, you know, formal leather shoes in the last for the last three months. It's going to be quite a shock to put those back on. But, but I still I do think there will. Hopefully there will be an appetite where people will dress up. And, you know, make a bit more of a, a bit more of an effort. I wore a shirt, proper shirt yesterday with a, you know, collar and didn't wear a tie. But uh, you know, it was, it was just it made it was nice. It was quite refreshing. Oh, let's talk about you, Richard. Actually. Um, hmm. 
how does your partnership work? It's been 20, you're like a quarter of a century anniversary. It's about 20, it's coming up to 28 years, actually, this September. Yeah. How does your partnership work? Um, I mean, now, now Richard's involvement in the business is a lot less than it was. But when we, when we, when we first started, you know, uh, he, you know, he'd had, he had the, um, the business he had a he had a name and 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 was very very creative and and i guess i assumed the role of more um on the business side of things saying that we both because we work so closely together it was just basically the two of us at the beginning anyway we we, we did everything together you know it was uh you know we'd look at i'd get involved in 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 um you know, fabric styles, and he'd get involved in what we, what direction we needed to do the business. But there wasn't that much business to get involved in. But um, you know, you know what there was. He, we we you know we were you know we we opened the shop. We 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 produced everything. We worked in the shop six days a week. You know, we took it in turns to do work on Saturdays. We, it was just a very much. We, there was no one else to do it. We had to be hands on, and it was just. And because of that, I guess we got. Listen, we you know we had disagreements. You know, inevitably. Um, um, more because of the the way we, you know people do things in different ways and but um but on the whole you know we we were pretty close and we, we were very much aligned into what we how we saw the business business working i guess i probably i probably veered more towards a commercial viewpoints than he did um but i think that kind of that kind of you know opposite ends of the spectrum we got somewhere in the middle and it you know quite often worked but i also understood that need for that kind of you know you know fashion business is that kind of classic me, me, meeting of art and commerce and you know i, I totally understood his, his need to express what he felt the business should be and I, and I think there's always room to do that you just had to kind of maybe reduce that from 80 percent down to 20 percent of the business <laughs> you know so we don't we we we'd kind of we, we worked it out and it was good. And, and he was, and, and it was, as someone very creative, he, he understood the business. He'd grown up through Brown. He'd grown up from a very commercial point of view. He understood what, he was on the shop floor. He understood, you know, and I think we both on the shop floor, we understood what our customers wanted, you know, and it was kind of making that. I think you, under, you have to understand what your customers want, but then you maybe offer them something they didn't know they wanted. You know, you're, you're, in, a, you're in a very... Uh, results-driven business you can so very quickly see whether that whether, whether that works or not and and people are very you know they'll tell you if we don't they don't want that so or that's not going to work for them but um yeah no we we, we, we that's that that's basically how it works and and as the business grew i think we still maintain that kind of level of of, of you know communication you know and even when with more and more people within the business it's that we could still i think you know we that was so great going through the very tough times and and you know quite quite tricky times we 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 could shortcut our, our we understood what 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 either person wanted and how it would work and what what the business needed to do you know it was almost unsaid yeah, doing it on your own must be like i mean impossible Oof, i i yeah i think it's very difficult i mean i couldn't imagine having to have done that business just on my own i, I must admit it would just even just have someone just to talk to at the, at the end of the day and, and re recognize <laughs> how tricky how tricky everything is you know you you probably go you know yeah i have a, a full admiration for people that can just do that and and, and steer it through I, I, we, I, I definitely wasn't capable of that now it's time to hear a bit more about our wonderful partners klarna Klarna lets customers pay up to 30 days later or in three instalments at thousands of online stores such as ASOS, River Island, Michael Kors, Made.com and many more. 
Find out more at Klarna.com. You had some very high profile ones and still have. I, you may not be able to tell us about all of them because of confidentiality and all that, but can you tell us the kind of people that you've dressed over the years? Over the time, we've kind of dressed all sorts of, you know, I always feel like one of those kind of cab drivers with, you know, you know, guess who I had in the back of my cab yesterday or last week. Um, we didn't set out to kind of dress celebrities and, and it wasn't part of our, our business plan, but it, you know, it just happened. And I, and I guess around about the, Towards the end of the nineties, we really, we really started to be, we we started to get recognised by the kind of film, music, you know, um, businesses, and 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 we were kind of a go to go to brand that was that we people would come to us because, you know, there's an element that you needed to, if you were going somewhere for an event or something, you wanted something, you you wasn't you couldn't be wearing fancy dress, you wanted smart, but you wanted something a bit different, you know, and. A, a little bit more you know have a little bit of an edge without kind of looking crazy so you know we yeah we've i remember we, we we had all sorts of people during that that period of the 90s a lot of music people oasis um you know pulp um um you know all, all those sorts of guys i mean very popular with comedians for some reason i remember david williams was an early customer of ours um, um and and the word kind of spread within that community, um, you know. So so yeah, we've we've had and obviously we still do. Is that still that still happens? You know, we still we've still got people coming to coming to see us from 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 the world of film and music. And because uh, that time in the nineties, it was fashion in Britain uh, was part of this whole youth quake, this whole kind of Brit movement, wasn't there? There was new music, new fashion, TV. It was all it, it was all kind of shaken up by this this youth movement and it was cool to be British and I was wondering whether you thought partly because supply chains are going to have to be examined due to this pandemic and partly because people might be feeling like they wanted to support British brands again do you see that one of the positive consequences of what we've been through would be that people might you know there might be that pride in a positive pride in Britain and supporting brands like you and others again I hope so yeah I, I hope so I, I yeah that's that's probably you know I think we always that gets talked about quite a lot um you know I mean to be honest when we first started out everything we did was made in made in Britain you know everything literally everything now it's not you know spread we, we have to manufacture all over the world which wherever we can we try and make in britain it's very difficult it, in all honesty it's very difficult um you know a lot of a lot of our a lot of, a lot of our manufacturers just kind of couldn't survive um and i you know per, perhaps there were just whether there's the the infrastructures there to, for, to for us to be able to do it it's 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 going to be difficult but i you know I, it's going to be hard. It's hard to say because, you know, everyone says, "Oh, you know, we, we want we want to make in Britain and we want to buy stuff that's made in Britain." But then, you know, actually, or something that's made somewhere else for you know twenty percent less, something sometimes seems a bit more attractive. So, kind of down to people to you know the customer to to, to recognise that. The British brand, you know, it's designed here. It's based here. It, the the customers are, are you know there's there's so much. There's, there's influence from all different sources now that there wasn't when we were when we first started out. You know, we you know we had we had recognition through our retail outlets and the press. You know, and that was it, the printed press. Now that now you you know you, you can be reached as a consumer by so many other different aspects. And you know, I'm, I'm we were I'm you know I think it's obvious that we're a British brand. How much do I do I want do I think we should play on that? 
I, I think we play you know i think it's it's there it's it's in part of our it's part of our dna um i i, I don't want people to buy buy out buy stuff from us just because it's british i want them to buy something because it's you know they they like it they desire it it's it's something they they they, they feel happy with and content with international um an international reputation as well haven't you yeah yeah we we have we've we've been in japan for a long time about almost 20 years um the us is you know we have a store in new york um um yeah we sell we sell all over the world um and i you know i, I we it's kind of interesting i always say we're kind of probably better known in new york than we are in newcastle um um we're kind of a, we're an urban brand you know we have that kind of urban you know Metropolitan uh, sense, but uh, of course, I'd uh, we 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 we'd like to expand that uh, our uh, our our fame or infamy. Um, but uh, yeah, we we are quite institutional. That infamy, that do you still consider your brand to be somewhat rebellious? Yes, I don't. I I I, I you know I don't unfortunately anymore. Um, I think we're uh, we're we're now called part of the uh, on several we're known as the. Uh, I think it was it new establishments and uh yeah we have to we recognize that listen we, we always when we do do things we do like to do them a bit tongue-in-cheek absolutely um but i i don't think it's it's how it was back then i think whatever we did you know we could put a you know a yellow jacket in the window on Savile Row and it would kind of cause a bit of outrage um and now that's you know you know we've, we've had all sorts of brands on Savile Row so i don't think that causes quite the stir it used to What's your sense then of um, the fashion industry post-COVID? What do you think the future holds, and then for Savile Row in particular? Yeah, it, it's it's probably a scary, scary time for everybody with with, with retail that, that, that relies on retail. Talking about Savile Row, I think you know, I think Savile Row survived for you know 150 years, so you know you'd you'd hope and expect that that. that that this is something else that it will survive and and and, and get through, and we've got to make com customers feel confident about coming back into Savile Row. And I think there'll be a lot of support for Savile Row. I think that generally is, you know, I think people recognise it. It's unique. I, I think actually, what's great is that the the um, the landlords on Savile Row are realise that they have they they have in their hands something that's quite unique and are, are willing to support it and help help through this really tricky time so you know i think i think there will be you know it's going to be tough few it's going to be tough few months but i i think several row will 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 figure it out and and we'll we'll get through it um you know and 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 i i don't know i hesitate to say come out stronger but come out different like you say i mean it's it's been through a few world wars and um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. defeated by this talking from a purely business point of view you know so our biggest overheads are probably rents one of our biggest overheads rent business rates and um then staff you what you don't want to do is have to lose lots of staff so you have to support your rent you know and i, and I think that's what and i think i think that's what's good about what the, the, the landlords are you know they've recognized that that that, that people you know the several warehouses if they get rid of staff they're going to lose skills that have taken many many years to to develop and protect and and and, and that's what we don't want to do we, we we really want to protect those jobs because you know it's very difficult to get them back it takes takes years to to to, to have a to become a several row cutter it's it's interesting the way you put that because 
other companies losing workers is tough but your workers genuinely are skilled i wanted to ask you because you you are obviously an entrepreneur set up a business uh, twice i think with Richard. <laughs> yeah we won't talk about the first time but it goes to show you know quite often it doesn't work out first time and you've got to see does that's good but yeah right now there's talk that this pandemic will result in new brands coming forward new new ideas and i really hope that that is one of the outcomes what mm. advice do you have then now for somebody who's looking to start out in fashion i mean and if you were looking to set up another brand maybe well, how would you do it god that's so difficult i mean you know I, I you know it's interesting you kind of you know you refer you refer to me uh, as an entrepreneur uh, but i'd probably not i, I kind of I've kind of got involved in this business and I've stuck with it for 28 years and, and, and more because I, you know, I just love it. And it's just, a, you know, I, I, I have a, I have a, you know, emotional kind of investment in it. It's very, and, and probably if I was a true entrepreneur, I would have sold it, moved on, gone somewhere else, started something else. But anyway, I, I, I now, you know, doing something else, how would I, what would I do now? Oh, that's such a tricky question. Something I do rack my brains with. I do think, you know, tech, the tech solutions are, are important. Yeah. And I, what worries me looking, looking, looking at a lot of new brands is the tech comes first and then the product brand, whatever you want to call it comes afterwards. I, I think there's a, that, that's, that's a little bit scary and, and lacks a little bit of integrity um, um, because you end up fit, fitting a product around, great tech solution i've i've i'm we i'm that's i'm old school that doesn't work for me i think you know you've got to come up with the with the product or what you want people to, to buy or be interested in first and then how you deliver that secondly but i you know i i do think it, there is absolutely a place for for, for the tech and, and it is important obviously uh going forward and it's something i struggle to keep up with luckily i have lots of uh, younger staff members who keep me appraised of uh, how to deal with it and you just have to take notice of notice of them and and i kind of maybe my emphasis shifts back a little bit towards what what, what the product is but I, the way i we used to do things is changing and, and and if you don't if you don't stay relevant you're going to get left behind I, I yeah i think the sustainability aspect of of, of of the fashion business is going to become more important more and more important the great thing about us if you look at Savile Row if you take a bespoke suit for instance yes it's horrendously expensive uh, uh, but in terms of value for money it's fantastic it's very you know it's it's very efficient the the natural the natural fibers that, uh, that are used and yeah I can that, that classic thing it can last a lifetime it absolutely can last a lifetime the ultimate actually sustainable product really in fact because you're not making well, you have a ready-to-wear business i obviously understand that sure you're not doing that thing where you're making a load of clothes and hoping someone will buy them yeah it's made specifically for that person exactly the amount of fabric that is required is is, is precise you know it's measured a pattern's made and so yeah and no, i i always refer to this kind of the ultimate sustainable garments um it's 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 just expensive but if you price that out over years and years of use um on weight so this is the thing i was thinking about that might be a boon for you is people being mm. around not doing very much potentially 
you'll get these people coming to you and they can't fit in their suits anymore. Yeah, we'll have to, well, they either be new ones or they'll have to uh, have their uh, old ones altered, which, uh, which we can do. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, we're trying to look for that positive. <laughs> Make the most of it. It did occur to me that people would um, have to go and buy some clothes because they can't fit in the ones that they've got. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I know. I think there will be a bit of that. You're absolutely right. Me included. Yeah, and I was speaking from personal experience. <laughs> Shrunk in the wash, right? I have a barrier. Yeah, yes, exactly. We're always shrunk in the wash, exactly. <laughs> you're washing the several rows too. But you yeah. actually get them dry clean very often, aren't you? You're supposed to. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, you, you know, you're not. And, and, and you're supposed to kind of, I mean, before they were sponged and pressed. That's, that's, what, that's what it was recommended. You didn't, you wouldn't dry clean them at all. I mean, if you can keep it down to once a year, that's what we kind of prefer. It's just, you will need to press them. And, you know, we do that. People come in, people that we've had suits, we'll just drop them off and say, would you mind just giving it this a quick press? And, you know, we do that. Dry cleaning takes a lot of the natural oils that are in the fibers of the fabric and it just changes the way they feel and the way they last. So, there we are. I've learned something today about why you shouldn't. Why you shouldn't, yes, exactly. It's good to see you. You're probably one of the last business leaders I saw before lockdown, actually. Yes, no, I saw you exactly. It was that was that was a, such a lovely breakfast as well. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, a nice breakfast at sketch with a few CEOs. Yes, yeah. Oh, this is tough, isn't it? Oh dear. And then <laughs> oh, no, it only got tougher. <laughs> No, it was, a, it was a really, it was a really nice, a really nice morning. I had some great conversations and, and met some really interesting people. Yeah, I've, I've, I've stayed in contact with a couple of them. It's, it was very, it was really good. Yeah, solidarity in this time with your fellow CEOs. But yeah, it's nice, it's nice to see you looking well. Um, your hair's longer. So. Yes, I'll get that. That's that's the first thing to be sorted out after after this. Yeah. We're talking to you, and it's been just a fascinating into your world and to what you've been up to. And, Hopefully, hope to see you again soon. In, yes, in the in real in real time. And um, take care of yourself. And thank you very much for your time today, Sean. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to the In Conversation podcast. If ever you want to be there in person, visit our website at theindustry.fashion and sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know about future events. You will also be kept up to date with breaking news, in-depth features and our data-led consumer studies. Thanks for listening. Thanks again to our partners, Klarna. And keep an eye on the website, subscribe, sign up, do whatever it is you do to be sure not to miss the next episode.